Welcome, welcome everyone to the Simon Dan podcast. It's episode 23. How you're doing? Hope you're well. Um, look, he's joining us again. He is back again. He's not missing any weeks this time. The man who knows more about knuckleballs than Cristiano Ronaldo himself. It's Kat. How you doing, buddy? Hey, there's his intro. <laughs> I, I never know whether I should speak while the intro is playing or let it ring out. Because oh, it it's, uh, it's it is masterful, you know. I, I know how much uh, you love it. Every that's time right. I hear that, I do feel ten times more manly. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> why. That's why I play it. Anyway, how you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, really good, really good. It's been a very interesting, interesting week. This, yeah, uh, last video I put it out. has. Yeah, so very so the, 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 I mean, everyone. I mean, if you weren't here in the last podcast, and if you don't know, a pretty prominent flat earther has flipped uh, and has come on the globe side which is pretty rare isn't it um and mm. i'm actually gonna i think i'm gonna put one out about it get a bit more exposure uh, next friday i think um but they've not reacted well have they the flat earthers they're not happy they they aren't it's uh it's all over but on the back of it a bit of breaking news here i um i promised i'm not going to mention any names so i won't mention any names but okay. i've been contacted by two other flat earthers right in the uh, uh, in the, not not prominent in the community, but well known in terms of being on channels and stuff. Right. Who um, who now doubt the Earth is flat as well because of recent because, events. because of this photo because of this wow. photo and the way okay. that it's been analysed by not one but two flat earthers. Wow. To show that there's dropped. So making inroads. Yeah, that's that's excellent news. Excellent news. So um, we'll we'll keep an eye on that. Definitely. Definitely keep an eye on that. But we, we got our eyes on something else today. So uh, those of you uh, that tuned in for, I think it was episode 16 or 17, we did the science of Red Dwarf. Spanners and Matt are back. How you doing, gents? You all right? Spanners, you good? I'm all right, Dan. I have to say I've gone the other way since we've last Oh, started, shut so up. <laughs> I've, I've lost, I've become disenchanted with Globe Earth and I've, I've gone the other way. Have you? Right. Good. That's very good. Very good. Matt, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I'm just in New York living my life and ignoring spanners as much as possible. Yeah, good idea. Good idea. Anyway, guys, you, it was very well received, the uh, the, the Red Dwarf episode. It was, a, it was a, a call for you guys to come back. So you are back. Um, and this time we're doing the science of Star Trek. The science of Star Trek, aren't we? Oh, my goodness. When you sent the show notes over, Dan. I was like a bit scared because it felt like homework with a big PDF document. But it, as it opened up, I was like, oh, my God, I we've my life has been homework for this episode. Yeah, I know. I know. We'll get into we'll get into that a little bit more about how much we've uh, seen. So, Cats, are you a Trekker? You know, I am uh, not so much the original series, but I, I, I do like uh, I'm probably one of the rare people that actually quite likes Discovery. I don't know. Uh, I do. And I like Deep Space Nine, the end of Deep Space Nine, where it got into the the, the war and the battle. It got quite, it was laughing at me because I said I like Discovery. <laughs> UN. Should I go now? I ruined it. Cats. That's no. I mean, social workers in space for TNG was enough. But when it got to like United Nations or oh, the peace accord on 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 that planet like, why have i forgotten the name dan i don't Bajor. know i i, I listen listen i'm quite rare i've seen the next generation i've seen all of them and i loved it i haven't didn't really watch much of the original series i watched a bit of voyager when it was out a tiny bit of uh, deep space nine mainly when wolf was on it um but other than that and picard obviously and the movies yeah other than that not a huge amount i, I might upset some people in that my absolute favorite star trek series is voyager and that's because i really appreciated the the seasons long arc and how there was like a beginning middle and end yeah. i love 
that and enterprise kind of picked that up so not only do i annoy people by saying voyager was the best star trek series archer is the star trek captain as well he's absolutely the best star trek captain. But we're not going to get into a star trek captain debate because that's going to last forever matt what about you how many have you seen have you seen all of them no, not even close. Okay. I, I am the I'm an OG Star Trek person in that okay. when I I was a kid, it was the original Star Trek that was on that we watched all the time. And then all all of the stuff that you're talking about happened when I was away in college and sometimes without TV. But I saw I saw a reasonable number of the Picard ones when when they first came out. We watched some of it and then I was off and gone seen most of the movies and of course i watched picard because uh, we did the yeah. we did the show on that for the for the for the first season so so i i'm i'm going to be the voice of ancient wisdom on the show okay good good stuff cats did you see picard yeah i, I quite like picard it, yeah. I, it had its moments that i thought was a bit um how can i put it uh not very sci-fi a bit social justice and whatnot but uh, but uh, but as overall, yeah, got a thumbs up. I'd watch it again. Okay, good, good, good. So well, let's all agree we're looking forward to uh, season two on that one. Um, so the 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 premise is the same. We're gonna we're gonna chat about some of the sciences in Star Trek. We're gonna discuss how plausible they could be, uh, whilst reminiscing about the shows as well. Um, and we're gonna start with something that we touched on with uh, Red Dwarf. So, Cats, we, we spoke quite in depth about the possibility of Rimmer and the hologram and the hard light and stuff like that in, in Red Dwarf. And we're going to start with the holodecks for Star Trek. So, Cats, first off, the holodecks. I mean, we, we've got holograms already, but how far can we progress that to get something like a holodeck? Well, the answer is... I don't know. Um, <laughs> absolutely no idea. Uh, it just seems incredible. I would love one though. Uh, I'm going to defer to the experts for that because uh, I am totally under research for that. Okay, go I on. Don't know. Go on, Spanners. So I think the the term holodeck is slightly misleading. Okay. So we're used to holograms, but really, what's happening on the holodeck is that things are being materialized and dematerialized in real time. Right. So it's more like the replicator technology in the holodeck, isn't it, than than say just pure light like Rimmer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying they've they've named it poorly. Is that what you're saying? Yes, the nomenclature is incorrect, but the concept is absolutely fantastic because what you've basically got is the ultimate VR optic set. So you're seeing everything uh, as as you would in the real version of it, and we're all starting to experience that in v VR and virtual reality now. The thing that the materialized particles brings us is like uh, a haptic feedback it's like the ultimate haptic feedback, isn't it? So you can touch everything. So had they said, oh, it's a kind of, it's a light source, but we've got some particle in the air that stimulates your fingertips so it feels like touch. I don't think they did that. I think it's meant to be, if you touch a tree, that tree has been materialized. Right, I see. Matt? Yeah, well, I'm going to bring uh, my experience with... Um... Uh, racing to this uh, I, I went to a VR racing place and and they had two and three degree freedom simulators okay and I did I did an interview with the the founder of it so yeah two degrees and then three degrees um, and he said that what they do is they take the information from the car suspension and then they have motors that drive the rig different directions 
But what they spend a lot of time talking about is how your body senses that motion and translates it into something it recognizes from the visual stimuli. Okay. So we're moving the body this way and you think you're decelerating, but really you're being lifted up from the back. Right. You move the body. Okay. So, so it's almost like brain hacking, if you will. So if you ask me a holodeck where they replicate materials instantly and a tree is a tree, but they've just essentially 3D printed it in a nanosecond for you. I'm not sure I would buy that. Okay. But where they have materials and haptic feedback, and then they hack your brain to make you yeah. think you've touched a tree, I 100% would buy that that technology will eventually exist. Yeah, I think I agree with that. The only thing I can like even relate it to is, you know, we spoke about the VR table tennis last time, Spanners. Um, so what, I was playing it one day, and it, every time you hit the ball, there's a tiny little vibration in the in the controller, and it feels like you're hitting the ball. And one day the controller broke because I, I messed up the shot and I hit the sofa or something. The controller and it stopped vibrating. As soon as it, I didn't feel that vibration when I hit the ball. I was rubbish. I couldn't deal with it. I, it, it was going all over the place. Oh man, we have this argument with sim racing where if you're going through a corner, the wheel suddenly becomes really heavy, and then when you have a an understeer or oversteer moment or lose traction, the wheel suddenly goes light to simulate that. And okay. when you hit a curb, it obviously vibrates as well. And and Matt, you recently had a failure with your steering wheel where that disappeared. It's a totally different experience. Yeah, you just, you have no, it's amazing how much information you collect from your body, in a, even in a simulation like that. And so the wheel is, and your fingertips are very sensitive. A lot of information gets transmitted that way. But it's also, you know, and, and people will tell you, like they pull on the wheels, they lean back and forth because your brain really does get fooled. And the technology is there to completely fool your brain, I would say. We're getting to the point of ready player one technology, aren't we? Yeah. With the full haptic, haptic suit. So if when he got kicked in the nuts, you know, he, he felt that fully through his body. Uh, we're experimenting at the moment. We're talking about putting vibrating pads in our, in our, um, in our race seats. They're called butt kickers, and they simulate, you know, G-force as well as you're moving. Uh, but in Star Trek, in the in the Hollow Suite, you're expected to believe, I think, that it all just is exactly like real life. And if we remember that this is kind of a '90s technology, I'm sure if they could start again with what we've got now, they would probably do something more. What Matt is saying, which is you sit in a chair and the world gets beamed like a massive online multiplayer game. You can all sit in chairs and hook up and link up. Yeah, because the, the there was a risk. There was a risk, isn't wasn't there? Like if the if safety was off, you could be killed. You could be hurt inside the holodecks. And I don't know if you remember an episode with where um, I can't remember who said it, but they said to the ship's computer, create a, a villain in the holodeck that, that could outsmart data. Moriarty, and it created yeah. Moriarty, and then he could leave the holodeck, couldn't he? Somehow. Yeah, because they said not could beat Sherlock Holmes. They said could beat Commander Data. Yeah. I'll tell you what, those safety protocols were absolutely rats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're, are we saying then that holodecks, a version of holodecks is a possibility in the future? Not necessarily for the one all, on Star Trek, though. For, for all practical purposes of what you could do, yes. But I think okay. just the application, they went for light at yeah. the time. And I think that was fair at the time, whereas okay. now they wouldn't do it like that. But but what they did misrepresent is what people would use it for. Seth MacFarlane got it absolutely correct on the Orville. It would all be sex programs. <laughs> <laughs> that, that reminds me, because you said that earlier, and it reminds me of the episode where 
who's the who's the guy who um plays Murdoch in A Team? Oh, uh, Barkley in Star Trek. Yeah, because uh, he, 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 he keeps going to Holodeck with and and uh, creating uh, Troy, doesn't he? Like going to as if they're having a relationship or something, doesn't he? Because he's like infatuated with her. I'm just looking that up now for you, Reginald Barkley. That's it. Yeah. The actor's name is Dwight Schultz. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So he he obviously uses it used it for. Uh, and, and everyone would. That is literally yeah. what every crew member would do. And there would be a, a big kind of how do you delete your your holodeck history? There would be an <laughs> incognito holodeck mode. Yeah, but tell me if I'm wrong though. Riker would go in there just to st- just to step over chairs to sit on them. <laughs> Run stepping over chair post call. Brilliant. Okay, right. So we're 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 giving that one a possibility, definitely. Right. We'll move on. We'll move on then. Transporters. Transporters. Now, cats. Um, with the transporter is supposed to be. So it's supposed to completely disassemble you, isn't it? Atom by atom. Um, send you. For, is it through subspace or something? And then reassemble you afterwards. Are, are we? I'm. I'm. My immediate response to that is complete nonsense. What do you think? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, we we have hit the the technology where we can send or at least or send information from from one subatomic particle to a, another quite some distance away haven't we yeah but to to be able to do, but that's not even sending the matter itself no. it's just coordinating the information from one to another um and you know to be able to coordinate that with trillions and trillions of atoms and then retain the consciousness and the memory of the individual i think it's a, a bit of a step too far yeah myself yeah i think you're right matt well, this is where my ancient wisdom comes in, because if, if you look up what a transporter really is, it converts you to an energy pattern, and then you're reassembled according to that pattern Yeah. on the other side. So really what it is, is a telephone, <laughs> which would take sound waves, convert them to an energy pattern of electricity, and then recreate them on the other end. So this is the scientific model that they used. And I'm going to go with, it's highly implausible that it would work like that. And, and when I say highly implausible, I'm saying, no, I don't think it could work like that at all. The more interesting variation of it, I think Katz was sort of bringing it up in a bit, would be using something like quantum entanglement okay. to, recreate the, to recreate the information at whatever distance, uh, from. but it would require more or less a disassembly, permanent disassembly at the point of embarkation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. which brings up a whole host of other interesting problems. We'd need Jim Al-Khalili for that one, would we, Cats, for the quantum entanglement? Because um, uh, don't they say that once you're reassembled, it's almost like a different version of you? Is that what they, is that what they say in the, in the series? Well, in Star Trek? Yeah, once you're reassembled, after, once you've been, been transported, it's not the same, like, the same matter that is you no. that it was before. Okay, so I think in Star Trek you are definitely still you when you get transported to the other end. Okay. Like, there's never any question that it's your clone. The only time that came up was with Riker being split and his pattern got split. So he got reproduced two times. One lived a normal life on yep. Star Trek and one was stranded on the planet and uh, and went down a different path and was called himself Tom. Yeah. So it, it, in that way, they say, okay, when you transport, that is just like you taking a train really quickly from one place to another. So what Max, what Matt was describing there was a fax. <laughs> You're sending a fax of yourself yeah. to the other end. So if you if you were to take it as possible to start with, right. I think the energy levels required are like phenomenal, even to move one 
particle or even to copy like a few particles and have that information go to another place. But let's take that as given, if you'll allow me, and say it is possible. I have already made my wife agree to never be teleported. So I feel so strongly about this that she she doesn't understand why I feel strongly about it, but she has vowed to me she will never make use of transporter technology because I believe that once you are disassembled on the transporter pad, mm -hmm. you're dead. You just died. Okay. And then. Yeah. and then whatever happens at the other end, they've just built a, uh, a biological creature and really clever managed to put your memories and patterns in there from your brain. But if you were a religious person, so let's say you are a Christian, you believe in the Christian God, at the point at which you disassemble on the transporter pad, you then develop a pair of angel wings and float off to heaven. And then that thing that's carried on there, that's something else entirely. So I've said to my wife, if she does a transporter, that is the end of our relationship. I will have a funeral for her and I will have nothing to do with the new zombie okay. clone. Okay, that's dangerous territory, isn't it? Uh, but they, they kind of went a step further in Picard, didn't they? Because it was almost like they walked through something uh, they just walked through a gate, didn't they? And then all of a sudden, they were they were wherever they wanted to walk. Like a, it was like a lot quicker than oh, it was in um in Next Generation. Yeah, uh, but it also sort of begs the question as as they, I think they were stuck with what they started with. Yeah, from a scientific model, but but given the fact they have warp drives and they can bend space, why would you just not do that instead? Seems like you know. You've already got all the tools there. Why would you have to take people apart, make them an energy pattern, and put them back together when you could just simply bend space so you could walk from the transporter deck right to whatever the other end of that space is? Yeah, then, you need, then you need some dilithium crystals in your pocket, wouldn't you? <laughs> and I'm just thinking about a future time and a future spanners and a future Simon Dan. I would be there outside transporter pads with placards saying, uh, transporters are murder. Stop suicide booths now. <laughs> and you'd be talking about the transporter conspiracists and, oh, and, and tests and yeah. inviting me on your show. Yeah, yeah I would. I would, yeah. I mean, hell, I didn't think of that. All right, let's put transporters down to an absolute extremely unlikely yeah not at all not at all well matt you mentioned warp drive so let's move on to that so warp drives warp drive technology you said it's, it's the ability to bend the space uh behind the ship isn't it and and it can uh, in effect travel huge distances in a smaller time scale than uh than you normally would be able to powered by i believe dilithium crystals and it, is it antimatter and matter kind of collisions so what what's the you you know the science that behind that cats won't you what's going on there well, when, uh, certainly when we teach at A-level antimatter and matter, they, when they collide, so for example, a positron and a, um, a beta particle, like an electron and an anti-electron, yep. they annihilate. Now, the problem with that for me is when they annihilate, we have to bring in the law of conservation of momentum. So you could have an electron here, uh, a positron there, traveling uh, towards each other, and they've got the same mass, the same speed, so there's no overall momentum. And when they annihilate and create pure energy, that energy to conserve the fact there's no momentum is produced in the form of gamma rays, but at 180 degrees. So you're getting kind of um, jets of energy coming off in two different directions to, con yeah. to, to conserve momentum, which isn't going to move something because you're conserving momentum. Yeah. But obviously it's going to create an awful lot of energy and, you know, um, whether that heat then could be, you know, I, I don't know how they yeah. how they use that energy. Is that how they then bend space? I don't know. I, I don't know the exact science behind what they've planned. 
I think the idea in this series, at least, is that the dilithium crystals act sort of like a regulator okay. of the energy you create from the matter antimatter. I see. Got you. Okay. So like a like a control like a like sort of control rods in a uh, nuclear power station sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I mean, they can. They they talk about it, don't they? They say, uh, you know, warp warp nine or warp eight or whatever, and they can travel light years in a couple of hours. Or there is still there is still a time. You know, they they can't go straight across the galaxy in a few hours. That would still take a few days, wouldn't it? There's no there's not like an ultimate speed. So what they've really done with warp drive and faster than light travel, they haven't really made themselves go faster. They've shrunk the galaxy. Yeah enough that you can have the politics between different solar systems map yeah well if you think about a black hole say and a gravity well if you think about space is a bounded three-dimensional object let's call it a balloon you put a dot on one side you put a dot on the other side you draw the line all the way around that's a long distance but if you push them together then suddenly they're very 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 much closer and i think as far as a warp drive is concerned Technically, that's what it's doing. You're using gravity or you're using this energy to manipulate gravity and bend space, two different points in space, really close together. But there's still going to be a travel time to get from the one point to the other. Sure. It's not instantaneous. Okay. So are we saying then that the the theory behind it is certainly plausible, but the technology required is non-existent and probably won't be? So... Do we buy, and it sounds like Katz has got the biggest scientific brain here, do yeah, we yes. accept that the speed limit is of the universe is the speed of light? So we can't break the speed of light. We have to find some way to make a shortcut. Not, not quite. Um, you, you can't travel through space at the speed of light, but space itself can expand yeah, faster than the faster. speed of light. Yeah. Um, but there was there was a, a just this conversation reminded me now there was a story I heard last year was it and somebody from it was a university of Foreman beginning with a G but I can't remember what it was had actually applied the proper laws of physics to show how if you could distort the space time around you you could create a bubble a small bubble of the universe in which all the normal laws of physics apply so you're not traveling through that bubble any faster than the speed of light but around it you're contracting space okay. you know, or, or, or whatever faster than uh, you know, light will be able to travel through it and you, you sort of like propel through it, but using proper established laws of physics. So I do know that this is possible, but I can't remember the fine details. Dan, how many laws of physics can a sci-fi show break before you get fed up? I mean, we've got to accept that they will break some. Um, I don't know, because if it, it depends on the, who's watching. It depends on the audience, doesn't it? Because... If you're if you're a, a layman and you watch it, but they're talking scientifically, you know they talk about all all the like, tachyon beams and stuff like that, and all the all the stuff you'd you'd buy that, wouldn't you? You'd buy that, and and if you're not like me, I I just watch it for the enjoyment. Futurama uh, did a really good bit on on Star Trek about how they always use an analogy. So like Matt was saying, you know, they, one person will go, oh, it's the tachyon beams through the inverter field and the upscaling of the warp plasma bubble. And then the Matt person will come along and go, yeah, it's like a, a bubble. And then with a chopstick. And you go, ah, oh, right, okay, bubble and chopstick, I get that. Okay, okay. So Katz, Katz is saying then that, that, that arguably we're not breaking any laws of physics by by trying to do this. But a could we do it on a scale big enough to do it to to get a ship through? And b 
could we figure out the technology? That's the issue. The energy needed will be absolutely enormous. Yeah. Uh, and I'm saying that as someone who's got zero expertise in engineering or uh, bending space time, but I will just say, um, I mean, how, how could you possibly power that? You know, okay. I have no idea. All right. Warp drives is going in the bin with uh, transporters and expanders. You happy with that? Oh yeah, no, the, the only other bit on that was time dilation. Like they okay. never ever account for time dilation. So surely like they go on their mission, they'd come back and everyone they know and love would be dead. Yeah. And they never mentioned Well, that. we are going to talk about time a bit like oh, a yeah. bit later. All of this. Yeah, go on, Matt. And I'm going to have to argue with spanners just out of reflex here. No, because we're bending actual space and time. So no, we're we're not we're not taking it. We're not like in a black hole event horizon where time passes slowly for me, but faster for you. We're literally bending space like a balloon and chopsticks. Yeah, got it. Yeah, it's the whole it it's the whole continuum, spanners. Come on. Uh, right. Okay. So that that's in in the in the bin with transporters. Right. Number f next one is data. Data. So um, data is a special character because he. What I loved so much about Data is, yes, he was an android, but he was he had such a desire to become human, didn't he? And that was that was sewn through all the next generation, all of the uh, the films. But how possible is it to get an android that could look as close as, to human as Data, and obviously be as clever? Well, from an engineering point of view, uh, my background is electronics and uh, mechanical engineering. It doesn't feel that far away. Okay. And if we look at the data that they presented, they caked him in makeup to make him look deliberately a bit robotic and rubbish. And then and then they had a slightly fatter, older data in Picard as well, but still <laughs> the same caked on white makeup. It, to to get that look of, of Android, that's we're there. I, I'm pretty sure you could make a data looking Android. Um, you could get it to move and walk. Some of those robots that are coming out of Japan look frightening. We've got robot police dogs coming up. By the way, that's not a good idea. We should shut that down. <laughs> um, uh, so I think it would be mostly the positronic brain. That's the thing that is out of reach just now. I want to jump exactly on this and say that you already see how many videos a day on Twitter. Oh, look, so-and-so missing an arm, controlling it, controlling fingers that look like fingers with their brain. And I, and so I agree with you. I don't think we're that far off. And it was at Boston Robotics or Boston Dynamics. Yeah. Um, the robot dogs and the robot people. I mean, the, the New York City police already have a robot dog. It's too late. Okay. Uh, it's, it's like we're in Black Mirror now. Oh, I'm sorry. All right, fair enough. But Katz, you're the you're the biologist amongst us. How, could, if, if talking about what Matt was talking about there with like the limbs that had the you had to move it with electrical impulses, how good could we get that to to almost match human reflexes and things like that, just using that sort of technology? Well, I, I think I think something like that would would have better reflexes than a. You, I mean, don't forget, you, you know, if I'm going to get geeky about it, uh, signals travel uh, as electrical signals in the body they also travel as electrical signals down the wire in the machine but in, sure. in the body it's interrupted by the synapse where you get chemical diffusion traveling between the two that actually slows down the signal traveling in a, an organism slower than a, a, an electrical signal so um you know even even with that i think it'll be um you know far 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 better but the thing for me about this is if i just look back to my own childhood which wasn't that long ago honest was 
and the, the way technology has moved on since then, the speed that the technology is increasing is unbelievable. I, you know, I'm, I'm almost frightened by what it's going to be in 200 years. You know, we, we yeah. seem to be racing towards that moment. Yeah, I'll go with you there. Go on, Spanners. Uh, Dan, so we're talking about the plausibility of just the, from a pure engineering point of view, could we make data? But how about the plausibility of would data be accepted into a crew? Like, could you imagine a data in 100 years slotting into a Navy unit and being accepted as a person? I, I, I think it would be surprisingly easy for us to do. It. I mean, look at the way people treat pets yeah. and sonify their pets. Yeah, it depends on how... Uh, how human looking it was I, w- I would say but anything that has a human trait or or human sort of personality even if it didn't look human you'd still uh, be attached to that wouldn't you Matt yeah well I would like to bring up Alien at this point as being another excellent examination of how a robotic crew member would function in a pragmatic environment and, and I, I, I like what Kat said to me, I think you're right, though. The issue isn't the rest of the body or its reflexes. The issue is, could you build a brain yeah. to run it that would fit inside there? But we have, what, cloud computing now. So, I mean, maybe we don't even need the same kind of thing that we were imagining when the series was first out. Small interjection here, Dan, because yep. you mentioned Bishop from Alien. Yeah. Bishop from Alien is the reason that I cannot eat chicken pie. Oh. You know, chicken pie with the like cream of chicken. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. Whenever I open it, it looks like the insides <laughs> of fish. Okay, okay, right. Chicken pies aside, um, but the the physical side of it, okay, I'm with you on that, and possibly the brain, but the, the actual artificial intelligence, the ability to uh, to think, create, hold a conversation. How far away are we from that? So you know, the real sophisticated artificial intelligence that data showed. I think we've already been subject to artificial intelligence and not realized it. To I that level? I, no, not to that level. I'm just saying right okay. now, I think you've been in chat rooms and spoken to bots. I think yep. you've inter- definitely interacted with bots on Twitter. You've definitely had an argument with a bot on Twitter and you've definitely been in a game lobby where you've had a, a bot that you assumed was a human player. Okay. All right. So so we were saying if we build on if we build on that enough... Definitely, the AI could be good enough. Cool. Okay. I think so. All right. Okay. So, data, uh, Androids, holodecks are are good. Warp drives and transporters are not. Right. We'll take a quick break. Uh, we're at the point we call Cat's Curiosity. So, guys, this is the part where Cat's brings us a piece of science news that has interested him over the last week, and then we're going to digest it. So, what do you got, buddy? And have you done? Have you done that thing I set you? I, no, I did something else because I forgot okay. that you sent me that. All right, <laughs> All right. okay. Give us your news and then we'll then we'll set it properly. Oh my god, I feel like I've uh, I messed up there. Well, what I wanted to do this week was was do some science based on towers, seeing as it was a picture of uh, Blackpool Tower that killed off uh, sure. FE for a few people. And as I was looking about the science of towers, I saw information like the Eiffel Tower is fifteen centimeters taller in the summer than the winter because of thermal expansion, etc. And then that got linked to other articles about thermal energy. And I, and I stumbled on about polar bears that caught my eye. Um, and apparently the polar bear is, is, is sort of out in the open long enough for its fur to, to become the same temperature as the, the surroundings. A polar bear is practically invisible with an infrared camera. 
And it's all to do with the way that the fur is constructed. It's got these like holes and tubes inside, which uh, cause a lot of boundaries for any reflection of infrared heat that's trying to come out. And scientists at, I forget which university now in America, have actually taken that and they've tried to model it using silk that they shoot out of a syringe that's that's mixed in with water. And when they make these threads of silk and water, when they shoot out of a syringe, they then freeze it when it comes out and the water forms ice and it forms little holes in the silk, just like the polar bear fur. Right. And then they let it melt and the water escapes. And then they've woven it into a fabric which they can wrap around rabbits. And when they wrap it around a rabbit, like a Harry Potter cloak, the rabbit becomes completely invisible under infrared. But but it doesn't, um, it, it maintains the temperature of the external surroundings. So you don't see a gap, you just, Okay. It's just invisible. So this this is purely invisible to infrared, not to the naked eye. Oh yeah, if you try to hide in the dark, you look a bit silly. Yeah. Okay. But it's just infrared. Okay. All right. So I'm already seeing this as a movie plot device for Ocean's <laughs> 97. <laughs> <laughs> so I have limited experience in infrared. Uh, it only comes from uh, my time in the army and observing things at night through infrared goggles. And our clothes at the time was Combat 95. Those clothes would aid in uh, infrared vision. So they would stop you being seen in infrared. And you could always tell when it was an artilleryman because they were so, so keen on having beautiful uh, seams and lines in all their clothes and perfect ironed creases. And those iron creases would, of course, destroy the infrared properties of the of the material. So when you looked at them on exercise through infrared goggles, you would see these beautiful lines down their <laughs> arm and uh, showing off like the heat. But I am curious in that material, what is it that stops the, the infrared? Is it just is it mass of material? No, what, what it is, the um, the holes, the gaps that have been made inside the fibers themselves provide lots and lots and lots of boundaries so when any infrared is trying to come through at any boundary you get a certain amount of reflection certain amount of absorption certain amount of refraction etc but because you've got so many different boundaries uh, and scattering of that infrared <clears throat> a lot of it ends up being reflected eventually back to the rabbit and not coming out the other side so what gunner flip-flop was doing was crushing those layers under the iron and stopping them doing their job God, I, don't if they, I suppose if they were made in the same way, yeah, yeah, but maybe. I'm going to have to have a look at those because there are other types of materials that act um, sort of like the opposite to black body materials, aren't there? Yeah. I'm, I'm, but I, I'm, I'm interested. I'm going to Google that and find out. So with, with the polar bear then, is this a – oh, shit, this is obviously an evolutionary offshoot for the adaptation to, to live in the cold, isn't it? Yeah, I'd imagine so. Because um, it's not the, – the fur itself – a lot of people think, well, polar bears are white and it's an adaptation. The fur itself is actually transparent. So, and the only reason it looks white isn't because it's reflecting the snow, it's because it's scattering any light that comes through right, it. Yeah. Um, so I can't imagine it have, having been developed for any kind of camouflage thing. You know, it's, I think it is all about the, the infrared. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's very interesting, mate. So um, last week, guys, I set cats a, a, a task to do. We were talking about knuckleballs, so it's a sport-related thing. And I gave him a mathematical task to try and figure out how many golf balls are in the air at any one time on the planet. Um, uh, and he said he'd get on. He said he'd get onto it, and he's forgot. So write it down, cats. Come on, write it. I know you're a busy man. I know you're a busy man. But um, next week you've got to have, you know, that will be the cat's curiosity. I will do it next okay. week as the cat's curiosity okay. or detention. Or detention. Yeah, <laughs> I'll do it. Yeah. 
Okay, good stuff. Right, so we'll move on. So next we're talking about the, the weapons uh, that the, the ships have. So things like the photon torpedoes, um, the... Uh, what were the what were the laser things called? Um, phasers. phasers. Phasers, of course. Yeah, phasers. phasers. Uh, and then the handheld phasers as well, because uh, you could set it on stun or or kill, couldn't you? So, that you said something Spanish about the weapons, didn't you? What is it you said? Well, I've just thought of a new thing, okay. which is a major gripe of mine with a military background is the fact that the phasers they would have the handheld phasers that go bzz, bzz, that's fine yeah. and I think it was when the Borg attacked Picard's ship and he did his whole the line is here and no further <laughs> yeah. right, and they and they send the troops in but they all go to this cabinet and they get more assault rif- rifle shaped phasers yeah. now the whole reason you have a long barrel with a weapon <laughs> is to give your round a chance to spin in a bored barrel to give it accuracy there's absolutely no benefit to having a longer barrel for a phaser so that was just I was like, why are you doing that i suppose you could slightly argue that you you've got two hands to point it better aim better aim huh? better aim with it better aim with it i don't think so i think it makes no difference at all <laughs> and obviously you would have some kind of auto tracking and auto sensing with that technology as well and i think that's my main problem with star trek technology is it is very plot driven how effective the weapon is yeah they clearly have near infinite power from a military point of view so one episode you've got a beam that goes and heats up a planet's core and blows it up and then on the new rebooted star trek you had the Romulans blow up Vulcan with the Reds, what's it, what's it? But then there'll be another time they'll be in space, two massive warships, and they're going, okay, load the the torpedo, and that goes out, and then they're kind of just going, pew, 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 pew. <laughs> right, use the planet killer. Use the, the, the thing, the, the, the thing that creates a black hole. It's like Harry Potter with the inconsistent spells. You know, there's suddenly a spell yeah. that destroys everyone. Well, I want to ask a question. Because uh, I'm assuming we're going to just talk about a phaser right now, okay? Not as a real thing, but as some sort of energy discharge weapon. Yeah. Now, my knowledge of this is, well, you know, not fantastic, but I'm pretty sure that when you're studying uh, particles, and you need particles with lots of energy, like from a cyclotron, how big that thing is, and how many times that particle goes round it matters to the ultimate energy it puts out so i'm just going to wonder if we have a longer weapon maybe it's not an accuracy thing maybe i'm creating a longer circuit for my particles to go round to gather more energy before they're discharged and because maybe something handheld has some other kind of thermal limit as to how much you can spin it around that smaller path yeah uh, there's definite possibility to that but then we could say uh, cats like could you handheld something that requires that m- amount of energy anyway to, to fire a phaser like that? God, I, I, I mean, I don't, I mean, even if you could create, you know, the superb insulating uh, casing for the, the thing, ultimately these, these phasers, they are firing out subatomic particles. Yeah. There is, you know, got, Newton's third law at some point has got to come into to play. And these things don't, you know, those um, phases, handheld phases, they don't weigh a lot. So you would imagine for the energy they put out, you know, the, you never see any form of recoil or, or anything like that. Anyone struggling to use one and, you know, blowing yeah. somebody's head off behind them, you just don't <laughs> see it. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. So fa- phases then are 
whether we're talking about the handheld ones or the ships ones so they're definitely possible i mean i think you will see it fairly soon in like modern warfare you will see okay ships with lasers or anti-aircraft systems that are using that kind of energy pulse so it's not unrealistic i don't think okay all right but handheld ones though are we are we can we say that that's realistic I think if you're going to have something that works, like lasers are the closest thing we can think of. Yeah. They do make lasers that will burn holes in things. Plasma would be the other thing I know that you can do like seamless welding with plasma and stuff like that. It's not an impossibility to generate energies that could have impacts like that. But the question is, again, it comes down to an energy source that could create that that could create that that's yeah. the bit of technology sure. that's missing okay. and i i don't want to say entirely impossible but implausible yeah let's put it in that let's put it in that bracket the the photon to pit torpedoes then that the ships use um I, I i i always when i think about photon torpedoes i think back to the subtlety of them and i don't know if you remember i can't remember which one it was possibly generations or first contact where the Klingons had, Klingons had stolen um, Geordie's visor uh, and they put like a little secret camera in there and they figured out the, the frequency of the shields of the of the um, Enterprise and they matched that frequency with the photon torpedoes they fired, which went through the shields. Okay, so that has... I think here they've, they've, lent, they've leaned on like real warfare here yeah. because there is a battle between, say, being detected by radar and okay. the the frequency at which your radar system uh, uh, is detecting at is dictated by the size of the squares of the radar array that you use. And so if you are trying to jam that as an attacking aircraft, if you know the the size, if you can physically photograph the size of the 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 array, you can then match and modulate your jamming technology to match it. So to me, that that washes, okay. I think it's even more interesting. It's almost like anti-aliasing in the sense that they figure out the frequency of the shield and then they then they put what they want in between where it can measure or in this case where it exists. Do we Sorry. This is fine. One yeah, yeah. Do we know what a photon torpedo is actually made of? Because a photon is light. Yeah, no mass. Matt, so, do you know this? Well, I looked it up on the internet. Okay. So I don't know. Wiki was the first part of it, so maybe not the most accurate thing. But it said that the torpedo part of the torpedo was actually uh, one and a half kilograms of matter and one and a half kilograms of antimatter. Ah, okay. Okay. So we're talking back back to the uh, antimatter matter collision. So uh, could could we could we manage to somehow package that into into a weapon? You're you're the weapon experts, Manners. Oh, well, packaging. Yeah, you put it into a tube. Do you need to put it into a torpedo-shaped tube and and fire it out? Uh, maybe the the delivery system here is, I think, what you're talking about. So, do we need to put it in a propult a, a a shape that has propulsion? So, yes, if it needs to be fired and then carry on by itself then it could have a torpedo shape. So a torpedo will propel itself through the water, therefore it will have propellers through the back. I, I guess this would have some kind of space thruster 
So you have your warhead and your payload, and then you you put it in something that can get it to the destination. Okay, but taking all that into account, Kat, how would we be able to stop the antimatter from bashing into everything in the delivery system and... Yeah, this is something I'm, you know, antimatter containment. You yeah. know, uh, when I was uh, talking about positrons at, at A level, I do remember Googling with the kids and because one of the kids asked this question, you know, and, okay. and we had a, a look. And I do remember Googling, there was there was some sort of way where, you know, it, it, it could sort of be contained, but I can't, I can't remember now whether it was using magnetism or what, and I wish I could remember, but I, but I just, I just can't. I think I'd have to vote for some kind of magnetism. Yeah, there's a one of Dan Brown's novels talks about it, doesn't it? I can't remember which one it was. The one where they go to CERN. Might be Angels Descent. and Demons. It's Angels and Demons, yeah. They, there's antimatter in that, isn't there? Mm. And it's got some sort of a vial with a uh, magnetic, yeah. Okay, so, so technology-wise, it's possible. Is that what we're saying? I guess so. Matter. There is antimatter, and we know it would cause an awful lot of destruction if you let them say hi to each other. Yeah. At the end of the day, whatever time period we're in, we have got to throw uh, an amount of debilitating energy at the baddies. Yeah. And I think Star Trek do a reasonable job of portraying that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Good stuff. Right. Uh, Katz and I spoke about this briefly last week, but we're going to move on to the medical tricorders. So... Um, it just it was just this device that was able to uh, you run it over someone and you'd immediately be able to tell what's wrong with them, uh, what there was to do it. And Katz made the point that they always had just a few LEDs on there and they'd be able to tell you exactly what's wrong with you by just looking at the LEDs. <laughs> Such complicated, uh, complicated diagnosis as well, isn't it? You know, it's like, it's incredible. Yeah, incredible. yeah. Um, so, so what, I mean, that to me would be... So if we managed to replicate that today in the real world, it would be an unbelievable piece of kit, wouldn't it? Your smartphone, smart watches. I mean, I don't think we're that far off. I got off the plane in Italy. They took my temperature with the forehead thing. I go to the doctor. They put a little thing on my finger. It tells them the percentage oxygen in my bloodstream. Yeah. If you theorize that being a member of the military, they have some kind of, oh, let's say nanobots running around in their bloodstream. Something like a handheld scanner could probably give you almost everything that is actually represented on that screen very easily. It's literally just picking up the readings from things that are already monitoring your own body's health. Inside you. Ah, so it's not about packaging everything that all the the things that we eat into one box. It's possibly about having, like you say, something inside you, which is constantly uh, measuring things inside you. And then you just have to read that with a simple, uh, a simple device. Yeah. What do you think, Spanners? I think uh, they spent too much time concentrating on physical ailments. Never once did it try. Did it pick up emotional or mental issues? It never said like, do 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 do. Ah, oh, you seek validation uh, <laughs> where it's not necessary. Uh, you're experiencing great emotional pain. Here's some vodka. Uh, but from a medical point of view, like this would be the ultimate tool for for GPs for like generalist. Yeah medical experts to then get those readings and make really good uh, diagnoses it was it was very much a shortcut in in star trek though wasn't it matt yeah it was but it's making me think of this lovely episode of the twilight zone where a medical kit from the future shows up and and you can do surgery and not hurt people you can cut cut your arm off and put it back on it'll do everything for you and someone's trying to take it to the world 
and then right at the demonstration, the people in the future realize that it's been lost and they just turn off the thing. And so he just winds up stabbing himself and dying. Fantastic episode. But this has been a staple of all sorts of television tropes forever. Self-diagnosis, self-healing. And, and we see it like in The Expanse and, and all sorts of science fiction. But that's because it's really, really plausible. And the better the technology gets, the more likely it is we're going to see something like it. Yeah. So the inconsistency of where the power of technology is applied kind of comes in here as well. Because when you look at the dermal regenerator, it's basically like you could just be sliced open from top to bottom and they're like, oh, here's the dermal regenerator. That might be sore for just there uh, a little bit. And, and so there, Star Trek got into the, into the point of, okay, from a plot point of view, do we concentrate on what works for the story or do we have these concepts on paper? But because they did so many of these concepts so early in Star Trek and then they've been stuck with them, they're stuck with a lot of things where it's, oh, okay, this is a magic thing that can do anything. And then yeah. they have to create situations in which, the, oh, we're in some kind of magnetic field and the tricorder doesn't work anymore. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I guess um, seeing how far that medicine has come in the last hundred years, it, it would probably be foolish of us to dismiss something like that to happen in the future. I couldn't agree more. I mean, we've already got 3D printed organs. Yeah. It's it's not as far off as people think, I yeah. believe. Okay, cool. That's going in the definite possibility uh, pile then. Right. Uh, the last one, I, we touched on it earlier. We're going to talk about time. So the, the time that, the times that they've messed around with time in, in the, uh, in the, in the uh, episodes. Now, there's a couple of points that stand up for me. One is the finale of, of uh, Next Generation, where Picard goes forward in time, back in time, he sees himself. Uh, they kind of played on that with Picard, the series, didn't they? Where he's at his vineyard and all of that. And the other episode, which was one of my favourites, is where they Picard, the, the Enterprise came up to this, I can't remember what it was now, but Picard uh, passes out, experiences an entire lifetime in his head as this guy who plays a little flute. Then he wakes up so after having this whole lifetime and it's only been, what, a matter of hours on the ship, and he can still play this flute that he's obviously learned throughout. It was incredible, but how possible is it? Dan, can I, can I, can I sort of rubbish your premise go. a little bit? Is that all right? I don't want to be rude. Yep. Now I'm in your house. No, no, go, go. But I don't think the Picard, the lifetime thing, where he lives that whole life, grows old and dies, and then he can play the flute, I don't think that has anything to do, to do with time. I think they've just done a data dump into his mind, and he has a ah, okay. of time. Okay, okay. Well, okay, that's fair. That's a fair comment. That's a definite possibility. Matt? Matt's going to disagree with me. <laughs> I will. I will. I, because what I love about that is, well, I mean, it, because we as human beings experience time in a not standard way. I mean, just ask anyone who's had to sit through Algebra 2 on a rainy afternoon exactly how long 45 minutes is. And they'll say it feels like a lifetime to them. Not for me. Or, I mean, I don't know about <laughs> you. I drive. I've had the occasional near crash experience. And a couple of times I have experienced what you would consider time dilation, where everything slows down, where you are suddenly experiencing things 10 times slower than you would in normal real life. Well, yeah, it's, time. A, it's a weird experience, but it, it can be occasioned. And, and so 
uh, we invented devices, watches, and we needed mechanical things. A quartz watch, we rely on the quartz tick. Now mm-hmm. we use atomic clocks. But as a human being, all we have is a software in our head to tell us how fast time is passing. And um, there, there's things where people have, have um, I can't remember the can't remember the disease they had, but they they solved it by giving them L-dopa. And these people had been in coma since the 50s and they woke up and they thought it was like 1951 and it was in the 70s. Wow. You know, so so time, the idea that time passes for us inside our head differently than it passes in a physical universe. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's fantastic. And I totally believe you could experience an entire lifetime being unconscious. Yeah, for sure. And have only like eight hours pass in real life. What about the Nexus uh, spanners from generations? Was what, do you think that was like a date to dump, or do you think that was actually happening? No, no. I think we're meant to believe that he was experiencing all those those different times and was able to affect things in all those different times. I, I'm happy to accept Matt's premise that we can experience the pace of time differently. I'm okay. completely happy with that. Sure. However. I, I, I respect the direction of time, Matt. Are we are we on the same page there? I, I really do think the arrow points one way arrow and one time. way only. Yeah. Yes. In in the physical universe, it absolutely does. But inside our brain, no, not always. And uh, Kurt Vonnegut, Slaughterhouse Five. There you go. Billy Pilgrim has come unstuck in time. I I wish. I know it's such a good movie device, but I just wish we could just get rid of going back in time from all movies. It never works. It's pointless. You can go back in time in a different timeline, but that that then renders everything in your timeline completely irrelevant. You've moved timeline. That's you done. You know, I see existence as a, as a block of time. You've got space time, the three dimensions of, of height, width, and depth. Now, now let's imagine that those three dimensions are actually two, just so we can visualize it better and then add our third slash fourth dimension of time we live in this big oblong block of space time and we move from one end of the oblong block to the other and as soon as series insist that you can move in and around that block i it takes me out of it it's too far i can do warp i can do holodecks i can do uh androids that love and for some reason need to engage in sex but once we go backwards in time i'm I, I check out. Okay, so cats, did they did they mess up? Did they mess with time too much? Then Star Trek. I think from the the point of view of entertainment, right, let alone physics, I, I agree with what Spanners has just said. Though, once you've introduced time travel, if it's a standalone movie and that's your answer to the problem, fine. Okay, mm-hmm. but if you're going to have series after series, you're going to try and create drama and tension, and you know you've just got this get out clause that if something goes wrong, you just hop back in time and fix it, and then sometimes you choose to do it, and sometimes you choose not to you know it ruins it i think okay so they played it a bit too much Hmm. i would agree as a plot device Uh, i don't know if any of you remember the series heroes it was yes two seasons long yeah and the first season was great until one of the heroes who had the power of not being killed magically passed that on to all the other heroes and then the series was over because there was no more tension yeah. left. Yeah, there was nothing because yeah, everyone was invulnerable, that. and that was just the end of it. And so, yeah, I would agree from a from a writing point of view. If you're going to use time travel like that, it either needs to be inherent to the danger that you face and a problem that has to be solved, or it has to be something that can only be accessed under super rare, incredible circumstances. Otherwise, 
you just find yourself sitting there going, well, why don't they hit the rewind button and try it again? So here's a question then. Did the next generation use Q too much uh, in terms of getting them out of situations or in terms of in, in, in episodes or he just seemed to be around quite a lot, didn't he, Q? Yeah, and I don't want to like keep uh, keep uh, strangling this turkey. That's a real phrase. I don't want to keep <laughs> strangling this turkey, but again, they've fallen for their anything can happen. But they made Q up, as the kids say. They made him overpowered immediately. Yeah. And then they liked, they liked the character actor. He was a good character actor. So yes, he did get used uh, too much. The absolute best Q episode, though, if I may diverge, is the one where one of the Q continuum wanted to die. Uh, ah, he, yes. he was fed up with being alive forever and they went to this dusty road track uh, which was their home or a metaphor for their home and just one of the best pieces of writing in Star Trek ever was when he was talking about why he would want to die when there's infinite possibilities and they look at this road with a petrol station he says I've been the scarecrow I've been the garage I've even been the road you know I've been that rat I've been the tumbleweed I've done everything and it was just a beautiful poetic insight into you know life and and the finiteness of it being beautiful in itself yeah um i'm uh, my favorite cue moment is where they he made them all members of the robin hood gang and uh wolf said sir i will not be a merry man that cracked me up for about yeah. five minutes <laughs> was it not i am not a man yeah man. i am <laughs> yeah so yeah oh dear right okay so time the time stuff is all uh possibly a bit used a bit too much uh, we we've spoken about time before in red dwarf didn't we about being at some sort of a possibility way 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 in the future i vote no if that's are we voting is that how it works i vote we, no on the time thing we can vote did we vote no for on red dwarf i think we did yeah. didn't we we did yeah okay we'll vote no for it we'll vote no for red dwarf we'll vote no for time okay cool well that has been a brilliant brilliant discussion on um how plausible the science is in star trek um look it's guess the conspiracy time um and these two have got form cats they've won it once already so let's play So guys, since you were last on, the score has changed. Uh, it is now 10-9 to myself and Cats. So if you get this one, you're pulling it level. You're Wait a minute, who's been who's been letting the side down for the guests? What do you mean? The guests were miles behind by the time when That's you did it. Oh, right. The guests, okay, so the we're, guests we're, have been pulling it back. Comeback story. Yeah, it's you're the comeback right. story. So I think you might have even kicked the comeback off. So this would be nice. brilliant if you could get it to 10 all because... We're ending the game so soon, and it's first to eleven. I'm not just saying that because because if we win tonight, we win. Uh, we have discussed this over two episodes. Go on. Once again, it is abhorrent to me that me and Matt are on the same team, uh, and yep. I would like some kind of judgment as to which of us did better, even fine. within. The team. Fine, that's fine. But last time, cats. Last time, uh, it was we we did the one on the. Do you remember the the guy who thought the pizza box was uh, masonic and there was loads of images all over it oh, and, oh yeah, yeah 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 spanners had a blooming relative who was a mason so he knew all that stuff and that yeah he, master he, mason yeah so it, yeah and then i was like oh god the flat earthers are gonna listen to this and they're associated with a mason it's all over <laughs> for me uh right so here we go three uh conspiracy theories one is real in that people believe it and two are fabricated by cats and myself here we go 
Number one, Coke and Pepsi are actually the same drink. It's a test in subliminal advertising to see if the colour of the can affects the taste. That's the first conspiracy theory. Number two, the Earth exists inside a giant crater. That's the second one. And number three, bacteria are not a thing and they exist only to control the population. The idea of them exists to control the, uh, the population. There you go. That's your three. Okay, so we've got three to pick from. Matt, do you want me to go first? I've got a hot take on all three. Uh, let's hear it. Okay, so my my early thinking is, and what we're doing here is establishing which one is a real conspiracy theory in that the, is out yeah, there. That, that so the believed, most believable yeah. one for me straight away is the bacteria one. Okay. Because, so bacteria doesn't exist. Now, my mind is now turned to straight uh, chiropractic and acupuncture and uh, what's uh, orthopedic? No, no, no. Um, osteopathy. And a lot of the backbone of that is actually there are no germs. So they deny germ theory and they say that all the the ailments of the body are from misalignments in your muscular skeletal system. Right. Okay. I have a hilarious anecdote. Shoot. Regarding that, my daughter had to write a, a final paper or do a final presentation in her yoga class. And some of the topics that came up were very woo topics woo and my daughter was apparently grumbling infinitely about the concept of foot reflexology she picked herbalism she says at least there's some vague science yeah. there somewhere yeah but but it was just like it was it, it was a proud moment for me as a dad because <laughs> i wasn't there when she was complaining yeah. about the lack of science and all of this brilliant so when it comes to alt meds, like all bets are off. Like I can definitely believe that someone thinks bacteria doesn't exist, Matt. Yeah, no. Now, also interesting to me is the Coke Pepsi thing, because you may not know this, but in a previous life, I was a bartender. And one thing we absolutely did at our bar was we bought a beer that was not Budweiser, mm -hmm. but cheaper. I think it was Schaefer and ran it through the Budweiser tap. Ooh. And I attended bar for the better part of a year. And in that entire year, exactly one person bought a pint of that and then said to me, are you sure this is Budweiser? Mate, a hundred percent can agree with, with that because, okay. So, so to start with, I swear that I drink a lot of the sugar-free Cokes and Pepsis. And I think I could tell the difference between Coke Zero and Pepsi Max. I think I could, but for what, the one thing I do know is that out of a cold tin, it definitely tastes a lot different than out of a bottle and i'm absolutely sure of that and happy to be proved wrong i had a boss that was absolutely adamant that he was a sommelier and that he could tell all the different whiskeys apart and he was really getting a lot of mileage at the bar going on oh, this one's got the aroma of this <laughs> or whatever and i just I, I just full-on called him and i just went i think that's i think that's balls mate i think that <laughs> And he, let's test it. We tested it, and he didn't get a single one right. He was horribly <laughs> embarrassed. I never got promoted. Oh. <laughs> so it's an interesting thing, uh, perception. I remember being in the fifth grade, sixth grade, fourth grade, something like that. And they came up, and they said, here, put on this blindfold. Take a bite of this apple. Or, or, and I took a bite of it, and I was like, spit it out. I'm like, that's not an apple. It was a potato. It was an experiment 
they did on kids because the textures and things are similar. Some people are really sensitive to that. I had a friend who worked in a, in a wine store and, and they were talking about vodkas and they were like, yeah, you know, mostly, but he said there was one rep. He's, he said, we did a blind pour of 12 different vodkas and he told us each one. Like he was dead on with each of them. So there are people who do have those senses, but I think it's much rarer than a lot of people would have you believe. Yeah, thank you, what? And um, yeah, I, okay, so the, the earth and the crazy one. Now, Dan, what's your criteria here? Does it have to be an established conspiracy theorist or is it that one guy called Derek in Slough who thinks the earth is in a crater? My criteria is that um, for any of these uh, conspiracy theories that, there is a at least a small group of people that believe it. Okay, okay, okay. So this one's too ridiculous for me. So for, is it resting in a crater? Is the Antarctic, is that the bottom? And that's the thing on the top and it's really finely balanced. If this one's true, I, I lose all faith in humanity unless it's such a big crater that it's somehow floating in it. Unless that's it somehow, is that connected with flat earth? Matt, I, I, I'm going with my bacteria still the the earth in a crater is not moving me yeah there's so many weird earth conspiracies it's flat it's diagonal it's this it's that it's the center of the Hello. universe yeah. it's just like so earth in a crater is a good one to draw you in but really if you were going to be uh, real about it it would be the inside of the earth is hollow I would bet that is a real. I bet there are people who absolutely believe oh, that. Oh, yeah. there's, there's loads of hollow yeah. yeah. Loads oh. of hollow So I would agree with you. I think that's a distraction. Coke and Pepsi being the same, I don't know. I feel like I can taste the difference. I think that'd be a hard, hard sell. But yeah. that said, my experience bartending is like, well, yeah, you could probably also get away with it with a lot of people too. But the bacteria thing also struck me as being the most believable of the three. The most believable that someone would think it's a conspiracy. Whatever happens here, I'm yeah. going to do my Pepsi Max Coke Zero taste test to see if I can actually tell the difference because I, I thought I could. Happy to be corrected. Matt, my vote is is the bacteria one. But, bacteria, uh, you going for that? It's a team game, Matt. So Are you happy with that? Happy about bacteria? Okay. You're much, 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 much older, so you should decide. Oh, no, no, no. I'm going to agree with you. So therefore, if we're wrong, it's going to be entirely <laughs> your fault. Okay. Bacteria, Bob, here we go. Final answer. Here we go. Final answer. We've done it, cats. We have done it. Quite possibly, that is the one of the best ones in that it's got the people talking and not sure about all three. Yeah. Normally they normally they discard one straight away and say it's out of these two. You went through all of those really well. Um, It's the crater, guys. It's the crater. It is the crater. So there are people out there that genuinely believe. And you're right, mate. It's a massive crater. (laughs) It's a massive, massive crater that they believe. It's so big that we're floating in the crater. So it's also a zero gravity crater. Exactly. So we don't know what what the crater's in. We don't know where that crater is, but they believe that the Earth exists inside a crater. Cats came up with... What's the crater a part of? A, A giant planet? I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Uh, but it, it does, there is an offshoot to flat earth because some flat earthers think that there's a giant, what is it, cats? Like a giant ice ball or something. And then it's the, the earth is just a tiny little bit in the top yeah. of the ice ball or something like that. Um, so it's a bit of an offshoot yeah. to that. Um, cats came up with the Coke and Pepsi one. Um, and I came Brilliant. up with the bacteria one. Really good. Both um, of them really, really good. And we've but done you- it, mate. We've done it. 11-9. We are victorious. 
I was worried I that you two were going to get it. Slightly in that you have found the most ridiculous conspiracy theory I've ever heard and combined it with two perfectly plausible conspiracy theories. That's the but... game, mate. That's the game. Come on. <laughs> right. Anyway, guys, thanks so much for joining us once again. Uh, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, go on, mate. You wanna... What was that? You, you want to say something? Oh, no, I was just pointing at my screen. Oh, but yes, my yes, 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 yes. Right, so... I, I thought you were going to organically plug my website rather than making it now awkwardly Look, seem like I'm some kind of attention. You whore. saw the notes. It says oh, Roundup Show and Social Media Plugs. I read it. I never learned to read. <laughs> yeah, anyway, guys, thanks so much for joining us. You can find these two at MissedApex.net. Uh, they, no, honestly, they do a fantastic. Oh, kind of you to think of that. They do a fantastic Formula One podcast. All on your own. Please, <laughs> the one. race cars. If you like race cars, come find us. Please do go and check them out. They do a great show. Um, Cats is obviously on YouTube. Conspiracy Cats. I'm obviously on YouTube. Simon and Dan. Uh, Cats. Have you got anything special coming up after the fantastic flat earth smashing? Yeah, I'm going to do a roundup of the response uh, from the flat earth community this week, and uh, looking forward to that. Excellent, good stuff. I have got, like I said, I'm uh, kind of going over what you did with the with the with the photo. And tomorrow, or which when you hear this will be yesterday, uh, I have got a guy who has found some like giant stones and thinks that they are bones of giant people. That's coming up on Tin Four Tuesday. Check it out. Uh, but for now. We are done. Next week, we have got... Um, I don't know who we've got next week. Who have we got next week, Kat? Oh, did I send it? I don't know. Bloody hell. I... Right, hang on. I'll tell you who we've got next week. It's episode 24. And... Uh, oh, it might be Ranty, mightn't it? I asked you about this. Uh, I, I've oh, swapped God, something. Yeah, yeah so Ranty yeah. is the guy who has flipped... From Flat Earth to Global Earth. We're going to get him on. We're going to chat about how he went through it. And I've got some questions for him as well. Because he wants to accuse me of buying my subscribers. And I'm going to I'm going to hold his feet to the fire. No, I'm only joking. I'm just going to ask him if he thinks I am. Anyway, we are done. Thanks so much for watching. Uh, have a great week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.